Welcome to the Hey Salespeople podcast, where we focus on delivering immediately actionable best practices for sales professionals. I'm your host, Jeremy Donovan from SalesLoft. Hey, salespeople. Today, it is our great pleasure to have Jermaine Brian on the line. Welcome, Jermaine. Hi, everybody. Jermaine is the Senior Vice President of Global Sales at Chargebee. They are a platform to manage subscription revenue operations. So that's everything from checkout all the way to accounting. Today, we're actually going to talk about removing yourself as a bottleneck in sales leadership. And you'll understand why as we talk about you know what Jermaine is architecting there over at Chargebee. Also got my great co-host, Allie Merritt on. Hey, Allie. Hey, Jeremy. All right. So Allie and I, we want to get to know you a little bit more, Jermaine, and we'd love to understand how you stay smart about sales, about leadership, about the industry that you work in. How do you keep the saw sharp? I'm definitely an avid podcast listener. Also, you know, I believe that sales is not just about sales tactics, but about people. And so anything that's about sort of psychology um, and podcasts relating to the way that we react and behavior, I think is really important. Blogs, LinkedIn, and Twitter is probably the source that filters for me because there's just so much information out there on sales. But it's also one of my favorite interview questions when I'm recruiting reps is how they learn and their framework for learning. I think that the answer that is, you know, I learn from the people around me is a good answer, but it's not a great answer. I think that as a species, humans have this distinction from other animals that we're able to transmit knowledge through space and time. And um, that's one of the things that differentiates us. And therefore, you know, you should take advantage of the wealth of knowledge that exists out there online, in books. And, you know, we're not really reinventing the wheel in sales. So there's there's some tactical changes, but overall, there's a consistent corpus of best practices that exist. I love interview questions. So I'm curious if there are other interview questions that you ask and, and ones in particular where you are looking for answers that either filter a person in or filter a person out. I'm going to give away kind of a, a, a secret here, but my favorite interview question is, what is something that your mother taught you? I tend to ask that question after we get pretty technical into the weeds about sales, right? So it's kind of a curveball that comes in and all of a sudden... Um, what's really interesting is you see people become emotional as they think about their mother. So the first thing is how they react to something that kind of comes uh, unexpectedly. And then at the same time, the answer is always very interesting, right? There's a moment of sort of pure sincerity where they can't help but just be authentic in the moment when they think about their mother and, and what they learn from them. I'm going to turn it around on you. What's something that your mother taught you? You knew that was coming. You set that up. Yeah. <laughs> Softball. Yeah. Um, I think that's a, that's a good one. One candidate has actually turned it around me at the, at the end. And yeah, my, my mother taught me um, a number of things. But one of the things is that by virtue of being smart, that doesn't actually get you or relatively intelligent, I guess, or it uh, doesn't get you anywhere. What, what really makes the difference is the work. So there's a saying in French, I'm French originally, which is... Uh, Intelligence égale, c'est le travail qui compte. And so with equal intelligence, it's work that makes the difference. And I think that's really true in sales as well. Um, when reps ask, what is it that I look for in, in candidates, it goes to the same way of saying, well, it's great, you can be smart, you can have all, you can read, have read all the books, but actually the sort of the persistence is usually what makes the difference, right? And showing up. You mentioned learning from others, learning from those around you. You also mentioned on your LinkedIn that in your first four years at ChargeBase VP of Sales, you learned a ton by making a number of mistakes. Like that's actually in your job description, which I love. So are there any learnings from those mistakes that specifically would help out our listeners? Yeah, I think one of the big mistakes we made is that when I joined, we were 
we were growing, let's say, relatively slowly. And then we, we changed a couple things up, focused our product on a certain segment, and we started growing very quickly. And so we had to draw out a board plan for the following year that was pretty ambitious and continuing our 100% year-on-year growth plan. And what I got caught on that I didn't anticipate was the mistake was building up capacity to meet that plan, right? And I underestimated the hiring time and the ramp time that it takes to build in that capacity where people are actually performing and firing. So we actually missed a quarter. Everybody was up at quota, but we we just didn't have enough capacity built into the team. The next year, I didn't make the same mistake twice, but then the problem shifts, right? Now you've got capacity and then you need to make sure that your pipeline coverage is big enough to cover your capacity. Those two mistakes are really about thinking about the sort of the the secondary effects. As you solve one problem, you create another one. The pipeline's coverage one. So how did you go about solving that? Because that could be a demand issue, right? Yeah, correct. And um, our business was primarily driven at the time by inbound, right? So it's a it's a demand gen and a marketing coordination issue. Unfortunately, sort of, yeah, a, a quarter out to the, the quarter where we didn't have enough pipeline, I put a lot of pressure on our marketing team and they're really talented individuals who were able to drive up those uh, those inbound leads, but realizing that we wouldn't have the pipeline necessary to meet our targets. The other challenge, though, as you're growing is that your sales team is going to become more and more specialized. We segmented, we have three segments that we sell to and obviously territorialized. So we have three territories that we have globally. And so your marketing team, if you're if you're looking at this demand gen, needs to also uh, make sure that they're creating demand in the right segment and in the right territory. And at one point, I remember ended up being a funny discussion with our head of marketing who said, well, if I create a bunch of demand in North America, but you have capacity in Europe, can't you just reallocate the reps in Europe and I said, if you buy us a jet, I've got no problem. This was pre-COVID, so we were still, we were still able to travel. So it's making sure that that pipeline is there in the right segments and in the right territories. You actually mentioned something that comes up a lot, which is sort of a gap between sales and marketing, right? And fully understanding what the other side is working through and doing on a day-to-day basis. How do you get those two sides aligned? I think the the easiest way to do it is to start with definitions, right? So what do we mean by an MQL? What do we mean by an SQL? And to make sure, first of all, we're talking the same language and we mean the same things. And then the second thing is to agree, and this is related, but on the report. What report defines pipeline, which is the report in the CRM that we look at that is the source of truth that we can all agree on. And at that point, you've created kind of two objective measures on which it's much easier to have a conversation because we're talking about the same things. We noticed on your website that you're not only adopting what has been around for a long time, which is the schedule of demo, but you're also embracing the new buzzword product-led growth, even though you don't use that word, I think, on the website, but the sign up for free, right? That's sort of the product-led growth approach. Where are you finding your prospects tending to go? Are they scheduling the demos? Are they or are they just signing up and going? Are there differences with SMB versus enterprise? Just really curious about that whole line of questions. There's a big history behind that. At Chargebee, we used to service the entry-level market, so really the kind of the the startups. And so it had to be transactional and almost self-service. It's a complex product when you manage a a business's billing. um, And so it's hard to make it 100% self-service, but we kind of came from that space. And the first conversation I had with our CEO was about my experience as a founder and a startup founder and where I was saying I wouldn't pay 50 bucks a month for billing software, not because I just didn't have it, right? So I'd rather try to build it myself. And so the idea was how do we make it 
a freemium model that makes it a no-brainer for people who are just really kicking off their businesses. Now, as we've gone up market and we're servicing, you know, enterprise customers, we realize that they self-select into get me on a demo, get me talking to the right people as quickly as possible. This is my evaluation criteria. We find that it, it works well on both segments, but one of the unique advantages we have being a company that was founded in India is we have a team of what we call LDRs, which are lead development reps, and they look at every sign up and every MQL. And they, therefore, if somebody from an enterprise company would sign up for the free plan, they're able to identify that, pull it out, bring it to the SDR's attention, and then we put them back through our cycle. You mentioned that your sales team as a whole, and it sounds like you've got a very widespread and variety of roles under sales, is growing very rapidly. And you're now up to around 100 people. Does that 100 people include the team in India as well? Yes, correct. That's 100 people globally. And it's not just, uh, we have 25 account executives, but we have 20 pre-sales or sales engineers as well. We have the LDRs, we have SDRs who do the inbound qualification, and then we call BDRs that do the outbound prospecting, and then the layer of management. You know, Alan and I were talking to you before we press record, you were mentioning now that we're passing that 100 threshold, you're feeling that you're occasionally becoming a bottleneck in the sales decision-making process. So I'd love to hear you know, what your thinking has been on how to evolve that and how to appropriately empower the team at large. It's a constant question, and I find one of the most interesting and challenging parts of my role is to realize every six months, probably, how I need to move out of the way of the team. It happens in a couple steps. One of them is, for example... All pricing discussions used to and discount requests used to flow through me. But at some point, my calendar and agenda becomes then a bottleneck and we slow down deal cycles. And so we had to empower sales managers to be able to with different thresholds. Right. And so it's pricing thresholds at the sales management level. Then we realized sales managers, that's great. They're doing the day to day. But we've got three segments. We've got to build a territory plan. So now we need to hire in territorial directors. So now we have a VP of sales for North America. We have somebody for Europe and somebody for Australia, New Zealand, and somebody for the rest of APAC. And I need to give them approval thresholds so that they can make even more decisions. And then now I really sort of manage the exceptions. Since I was the first hire outside of India, I was also the only signatory for the company other than the CEO for the US entity. All the deal signing had to go through me. And so it's also about how you delegate that while maintaining checks and balances to ensure that we're still closing good deals and that they're going to pass. So we're, we're in the process of building a deal desk. At a higher level, to the point we were talking about at the beginning, the founders in Charge B have always found that, or have always asked us to consider that our role is to, as managers, is to work ourselves out of the job, right? They said that I'd be successful the day that I came to work and I had nothing to do. And that would be a sign that I've actually empowered and delegated the, to, to the team. And I think it is about how much decision-making process you can push down. And one of the things that we were kind of relative to the a, a traditional Silicon Valley startup we were late to the game on was developing and communicating our mission values and statement. And now I've realized that actually values is a great framework for decision-making on the team. If you're clear on your values and they're actionable values, it actually gives the team a framework for how they can make decisions without having to go through me. If you're looking at customer centricity is, is this decision the best decision that we can make for the customer? And whether that customer is internal or external. Empathy, my colleague is not doing their role, but maybe something's going on in their world. And so, you know, I can, I can start to 
lift some of the weight off of their shoulders and do the work for them. So I think value has actually become a very powerful tool. And then I discovered this thing uh, finally called the EOS, which is the Entrepreneurial Operating System. Um, there's a book called Traction that talks about this, and they have a framework for meetings called Level 10 Meetings. Now, we give everybody quarterly objectives, like we run on OKRs, and every week we track on how we're trending on those OKRs and the to-do list for next week. And I just think it's a very agile way to keep everybody on track so that they're no longer looking up or looking around to make decisions or to know what their priorities should be. So I have a question about you're hiring all these people. So then you have to hire more people in the hierarchy to manage the more people at the front lines. How do you build trust with those mid-level hierarchies? Because that's what you're doing by empowering them. You're trusting them to make decisions according to your company's core values, et cetera. How do you find that you best build trust with new people? I trust by default. If we've set up a good enough hiring process, and if our hiring panel and our hiring process is good enough, once you've been through that and we've made the decision, then you get the keys, right? I have to trust by default and let you drive. And if you know, we see leaders with different communication styles, and so some of them, I don't see a lot of traffic on email from them. And so I wonder, what are they doing? I have to trust that you know, if the results are there and their team's there, that they're actually doing their work, but maybe in a different way. And I have to allow for that to happen. One thing that's very important to us as a business, obviously, is the team. And we think that, you know, keeping morale at the team level high is critically important. If you sour that, it's very hard to come back from it. So one thing that I do do now that we have this layer is I have two slots in my calendar every week for skip levels where anybody, I have a Calendly link, anybody on the team can just freely schedule time with me to discuss And I think it's important to keep the pulse of the front lines. It's not a lack of trust for the middle, but it's to avoid the lost in translation elements and also to allow people who are, maybe they're just personally going through a bit of anxiety um, because of everything that's been going on in the world in the past six months. And they don't feel that that's being accounted for. So just allowing people to raise their hand, I think is, is really important. Your career direction into sales was a little bit different. And I like to ask about this for our listeners, because a lot of people are coming into sales from a traditional backgrounds now. You were a financial analyst, you founded several companies, and then you moved into leading sales teams. How did that change come about for you? I remember being in high school, and I got a job uh, at the time working at Brookstone. And my friends telling me, we're never going to walk into Brookstone while you're working because you're going to sell the store to us. And so I think that there's a natural affinity for these things, right, that I didn't realize through my career progression. The financial analyst part was probably the one that was furthest from my personality because you're really not talking to anybody. It's just spreadsheets. But it was a great training ground. The pivot into sales, honestly, was uh, thanks to an algorithm when um, I, uh, I was visiting San Francisco after uh, shutting down my, my second startup. I went to TechCrunch Disrupt. I was leaving there, got an Uber pool to try out this new shared Uber thing that was going on. And the other passenger happened to be the CEO and founder of Chargebee. And as I was saying a little bit before, he started asking me questions about my experience as a founder. And then we had coffee the next day and then lunch. And he said, we'd like somebody you know, to head up sales. At the time, I will admit, I did not know what SaaS meant. I did not know anything about you know, really the details of billing. And I took this more or less opportunistically as it's a quite an interesting job and a 
we'll see. It's an Indian company. I like the fact that, you know, I'm the first boots on the ground over here. And then sort of I fell in love with the space and I realized, you know, that we power tons of different businesses. We talk to a bunch of different people. If you're interested in people and if you're interested in how people think and if you're interested in, in what makes people tick, I think you can be excellent in sales. Because at the end of the day, we sell things to people, right? And so it's about, are you able to make a connection? Are you able to listen to what they're saying and what they're, you know, the implied need, not the expressed need? Um, are you able to read between the lines of, of some of their challenges? Or, and if you can get into that space, then I think you can be successful in sales if you put a heavy dose of persistence on top of that as well, because it does sometimes take the 15th email to get somebody to say yes. Well, it's incredible that Chargebee continues to grow so rapidly. If people are interested in career opportunities at Chargebee, to learn more about Chargebee, you know, to use that for their subscription management or to get in touch with you, what are the best ways to do that? The best way is probably over email. It's my first name at chargebee.com. So G-R-M-A-I-N, no E at the end, at chargebee.com. Thanks for being on today. Thank you both. Hey, Salespeople is a production made in partnership with Frequency Media. I'm your host, Jeremy Donovan. Paige McCauley is our producer. The podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever else podcasts are found. Thanks for listening to the Hey, Salespeople podcast.